And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Be the best and you gotta pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you gotta do a little extra things to get it. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me this week, my fabulous guest co-host Stu Jackson is back from the Rams.com. Stu, how we doing? I'm going to go with exceptional, primarily because I returned from Irvine without any sunburn, which compared to years past is, I would say, a significant victory for me. So uh, gradually getting caught up on sleep, but um, obviously excited to be back on the podcast with you to kind of share some uh, more sights, sounds and uh, observations as we kind of empty your notebooks here and, and, you know, transition from training camp into the preseason. I know I'm kind of proud. I mean, I'm proud of both of us. I feel like now those are veteran moves um, because not only did I also not get sunburned, but I had like 18 different types of sunscreen just in case, you know, you just never know. Um, But also it took me less time than usual to peel all of the layers of salt off of my body. So, you know, we're getting closer to rejoining the living and rejoining the actual world um, after a couple of weeks in Irvine. And it's, it's fun. Like this is a fun time of year. You know, the preseason is upon us. The Rams are at, uh, well, the Rams and the chargers will face each other at both of their home stadiums. Um, this weekend, we're recording this on a Wednesday. By the time you're hearing this, maybe you're driving to the stadium. Um, because, and I hope you pass the time with us and we, we appreciate it if you do. And that's going to be fun. It means things are starting to feel a little bit more real again. However, it also is um, fake depth chart season. So to celebrate fake depth chart season, we are going to mark the occasion by not talking about the fake depth chart. <laughs> and it brings us a lot of peace to not do so. Um, instead, I really am excited for people um, because to, to, to get into this episode with us, because we have so many, I just odds and ends and like random little notes and scribbles and both of our notebooks. And it's so much fun to revisit all of those things and to kind of go through all of the little items, question marks, notables, rising players, um, things that we're still waiting on shaking out as the preseason continues. And I think that's super fun. So Stu, I'm going to tee you up because I, I know you're just like, I know you've got one right out of the cannon here. What is one thing from your notebook that you want to share with the group? I think it's, Having more offensive line answer, if that makes sense. So you know, there obviously there's a lot of talk about, um, and not the preseason. Getting my uh, timelines mixed up here, <laughs> um, but back in the spring during OTAs, you know, you there was talk about you know finding your best five, and even I guess the first week of training camp, you know, Rob Hagenstein mentioned that too. And then as as we get into training camp, we realized that. It's not as much, it's not so much four spots that they're trying to determine or that I guess are upper grabs. It's in reality just two in terms of, you know, left tackle and, and center. And so 
you know, seeing how that evolved and how, you know, and seeing obviously the guys who were competing at those respective positions, but also who was occupying, you know, the, the other spots as, as well, um, you know, as far as uh, left guard and right guard go. That was something that was really fascinating as well as just all the different, you know, combinations they experimented with on days where guys had rest days or just for precautionary reasons sat out due to injury. Uh, I was, well, I can't get into those kind of, neither of us can obviously get into those combinations uh, because obviously that would be strategic info that, you know, is obviously sensitive information, but it was, uh, you know, interesting to see the way that they played with that a little bit. And then, you know, how they kind of approached rotating, rotating guys at left tackle and center, especially. And so, um, you know, obviously that's something that I'll be paying more attention to throughout the preseason as far as which of those guys see time and how that looks. But um, to me, I think that's a positive, the fact that maybe instead of having four question marks at the, at that along the offensive line, in reality, you only had two by the end of camp. Yeah, it's it's striking to me because so we all know Rob Havenside locks down that right tackle spot. And then um, as I had uh, talked to a couple of people before for a, an article during camp for The Athletic, um, you know, Tremaine Ankrum and Steve Avila are, are just had really started out camp very strong in terms of you notice because center and um, and left tackle were rotating so much. You you really noticed when other people weren't, and so it was pretty clear that Ankrum and Avila were really um, starting out strong in terms of, hey, this is your job to lose essentially. Now center center's going to be a different story. That's going to be. I'm very interested to see how that shakes out, Stu, just like you are, um, because we saw a lot of uh, we've seen a lot of Coleman Shelton with Matthew Stafford, um, but we also know that Brian Allen, you know even further than rotating in camp, we know that Brian Allen has also gotten a lot of snaps with Matthew Stafford as well. And further, um, Brian Allen can't necessarily or doesn't necessarily have experience playing guard and hasn't really ever been tried there outside of maybe one or two like one-off occasions. But Coleman Shelton can play guard. And so it's all a mathematical conversation as you get further and further. And the preseason, I think, will determine a lot of uh, a lot of things um, and solidify a lot of things for this group, but it, it is interesting because they did go from having unknowns, like you said, at four of these five into basically knowns, but, but like clear competition where the loser of the competition still is playing a valuable role for you versus, oh no, look on the waivers for, a, for a player. You know, it's, it's a very different conversation this time of year. And it also, is striking was striking to me. You and I first talked about this several weeks ago where they are playing with combinations that beef up this line. They are playing with combinations that have a substantial and significant size difference um, from, from years past. And that will affect everything from the way that they protect Matthew Stafford to some of the schematic things that they're trying to the way that their run game is deployed and the versatility and multiplicity with what they can do, what they're asking of their running backs versus what they're creating for their running backs schematically. It has such a ripple effect. Those decisions, and there's a reason why they say it all starts up front, is because those decisions have such a ripple effect over what the entire operation looks like, which is why they are being so, in my opinion, more intentional this year than they have been in years past. In years past, you see 
you know, it, the, the last two years specifically, in, in my opinion, you'd see like outside of Andrew Whitworth, uh, you know, you'd see and, and Rob Havenstein, you'd see young guys maybe sometimes playing out of position. You saw um, when they lost Austin Corbett through some self-inflicted front office decisions um, that that were made at that time. Um, they were kind of scrambling to figure out who's going to fill that spot. So they put Logan Bruss in there. That's technically playing him out of position. They're also drafting for need. And then you're sort of making do in a pinch and you're already on the back foot, right? And so you can't assert new schematic changes. You can't assert new things and things that you want to do. And, and there's a variety of other reasons inclusive to running back injuries, but like you can't, you can't necessarily start out in this way, the way that they are in this camp where they are clearly like, it's intentional and very strategic competition at certain spots and intentional and strategic development at other spots. Case in point, Steve Avila has not moved. Like, it's like, yeah. dude, you're going to be playing left guard, man. Like, you're not like grow here, you know, grow here. Good luck to you going against Aaron Donald. You know, like it's 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 like it's very it's much it seems a lot more intentional and strategic this year than it had um, possibly under, you know, previous offensive line coaches. Or I don't I don't want to say that plural because that's actually not accurate. Under the last offensive line coach, it didn't feel quite so strategic as it does this year. Yeah, why don't we stick with the development and uh, progress that we've seen from the trenches and go with the defensive line too? Um, you know, there's there. I think one of the, at least for me, one of the favorite things I've learned is that you know they were. Uh, you know, Aaron Donald specifically, he's been, he was facing, you know, more slide protection than he's probably ever faced in a training camp in his career because of the way they're trying to develop and prepare, you know, other younger and inexperienced offensive linemen or just the combination that they end up going with there. And also just to help him, you know, prepare for the regular season. Uh, you know, what do you notice about that group in particular, whether it's, you know, well, I, I would say this not only just with, with Aaron, but you know, whether it be some of the rookies or anybody else that's, you know, getting those reps up front and, and kind of learning here as things go. Yeah, it's a great question. That was also one of my favorite moments uh, of the of camp so far, too, because Aaron was like very open with in talking about it. And I found him to be like looser. Um, he's always been really good with media, but I found him to be like looser and more sort of like, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing this year kind of a thing, um, which has been refreshing. But on the other hand, it was so funny because you start to get your Sean McVay is transforming over the weeks and months into paranoid Sean that he always gets into in the season, right? Like no competitive, competitive advantage gets shared or, or, you know, spilled to the, to the media, which is part of the reason why we do have the credential limitations that we, that we do that you mentioned earlier, um, in terms of information we can and can't share per the rules of our credential, which I know many of you are tired of hearing us talk about, which we try not to dwell on it, but for those who are new, that is a thing. Um, and so um, it's funny because you could hear him start to sort of, he starts to, he's veering more into like regular season Sean McVay because he was almost kind of like irritated when we followed up about that with, with him at his press conference that day after Aaron's press conference, because he's like, well, you know, and, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit and exaggerating obviously his tone, but he's like, well, you know, it's not that different. I'm like, well, it kind of is, you know, and it's fine that it is, but you don't want to give away sort of some of the strategy behind it, which is developing those very young linemen. You know, I've been impressed with Ernest Brown. Um, I think that he is, first of all, he's getting a lot of time with Aaron and he also is 
Uh, he seems bigger. He seems more, um, you know, when he first came in, he was sort of like that tweener frame of, is he going to be a defensive end whenever they're in a four man front or kind of a Michael, or excuse me, a, um, a Morgan Fox type, um, or is he going to be sort of this, um, true interior defensive lineman? Um, he's starting to, it's, I'm not comparing them at all, but he's, his frame has filled out similar to the way that Michael Brockers ended up sort of, uh, filling out over his career in terms of he's got a little bit of length. So in a pinch, if you wanted to put him in that, in that hybrid role, you probably could, but, um, he's also stouter. He's, he's got more size to his frame, um, than he certainly had when he came in. And, and, um, that was something that, Michael Brockers was really, he could really occupy multiple spots on that interior, which just seems like eventually that's what they'd like Ernest Brown to do. Cause you have to be versatile if you play alongside Aaron Donald. And, and again, I'm not comparing the two players at all. It just is in terms of the way that they've developed and he's developed his frame. Um, there seems to be a strategy there. And I, I've been impressed with how he's, you know, he's a very quiet guy. Um, he's very to himself, but he kind of just goes about his job. And, and Jonah Williams to me has really popped. Um, it seems like every other practice we're hearing, you know, praise for Jonah for whether it's, especially in the run game, but then also some of the game, some of the games he runs with Aaron because Aaron's getting more game like situationals of those slide protections. So that means that the defensive line is practicing running games, which means that they're figuring out different pass rush lanes to create on their own versus whatever the line is showing them. And Jonah has been around for a long time. So he and Aaron kind of know how each other moves and works. They have not gotten a ton of playing time together ever, but like they still, you, they know the same language. And so um, that's been interesting because you've seen Jonah be able to create off of some of those opportunities when Aaron has had um, more attention on him and then also you've against the run. I mean, I on the other side of it, I have been really impressed with with the Rams run game. And and I'll ask you about that in a minute, Stu. Um, but I also have been impressed with how Jonah sees the run and how he fills those gaps and how he's been able to diagnose. Now, none of this is to say we don't know if they're going to be any good on that defensive line outside of Aaron. We just don't know yet. Um, but at the same time, particularly in the interior that that you are asking me about. Those are two guys who I think have really taken like very apparent and significant steps forward. And I really, really like Kobe Turner. I think he's got a ton of potential as well. Um, But those two guys, if you can get a line that features like Aaron, Ernest Brown and Marquise Copeland sub package, Aaron, uh, Ernest Brown or Marquise Copeland and Jonah Williams mix a little Bobby Brown in there. Um, He's still taking steps. Um, Kobe Turner mix Kobe Turner in there as he continues to develop like You've got things, you've got guys you can work with. Um, it's not going to be probably, especially at first, the way that we've seen truly dominant defensive lines from this group in the past. Um, but th- they're growing. You can see that progress happening. And I know Eric Henderson's working really hard coaching those guys up too. Because um, about that, it, like you can really start to see it, especially Sunday and Tuesday were their best practices of the year. Um, where you could see how things worked. And so I want to flip it again, because as much as we praise Jonah Williams for how he's been working the run, the run has also been working. (laughs) I mean, I've been really impressed with Cam Akers and especially Kyron Williams. And even Royce Freeman has has ripped off a couple of really solid um, opportunities and Ronnie Rivers. And so I'm kind of wondering what your takeaways from that group are. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, when Jonah Williams wasn't making a play, you know, in the in the run game or like a run stop, because he was someone I also had down quite a bit in my notebook over the last few training camp practices. It was it was it was great seeing a lot of the runs that you know Cam and Kyron both broke off. Obviously, it's a little bit difficult to get a full gauge with you know how those runs would look in a game like seven, just because you know in training camp, especially under Sean McVay, the Rams have always been always had an emphasis on thud tackling, if you will, where you know you still want to be physical, but it's about you know keeping guys on their feet. And so to that end, you know, as far as you know, it's it's controlled aggressiveness, you know, basically it's controlled aggressiveness when it comes to blocking, tackling, that sort of thing. But within that, still there's there's been times where, you know, Cam has showed some really great burst and and you know looks a lot like um, you know, the guy he did pre-injury, uh, you know, Kyron Williams, it, it dawned on me when I was writing about him this morning, I had forgotten all about just the couple of different injuries he dealt with last year. I mean, he, he, you know, he has a foot injury toward the end of OTAs and that delays his start to training camp. And then it's maybe a month later, it's kickoff game against the bills. He literally hurts his ankle on the opening kickoff and is, you know, out for the next two months. And so it was a lot of start stop. And so when he did get healthy because of the way, you know, Cam ended up playing toward the end there, you know, the sample size and the amount that he was able to be used was really small. But with him being healthy and not limited in camp this year, you know, you and I both were able to see a lot more of what he's really capable of and what he, and the potential that he can have uh, in this offense. I know Matthew Stafford made note of, you know, some of the plays he's made in the passing game. And that's obviously something that you know, we both saw out there too. And so it's obviously good to have, have Cam Akers, you know, looking as good as he did and, and, and breaking off some of those chunk plays that he did in the run game. But, you know, Kyron Williams is also someone I think to keep an eye on as well, just because again, given that he's healthy and, and what we saw in, in Irvine, I think there's a, there's a chance for him to, you know, have, have a meaningful role and, and really build on what he did when he did get those opportunities largely in weeks 10 through 12 across last season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, I think this is so brace yourself, fantasy football fans. This is not a conversation that you're going to like <laughs> or uh, that will give you much clarity on what you should do. Um, sorry uh, <laughs> or not sorry, I guess. But like this will not be helpful for you. But like it's um, to me, 
what it seems very apparent that the Rams are doing here with their development and further their establishment of Cam and Kyron is you've got a home run hitter and you've got an on-base percentage guy, like guy who can really maximize the OBP. And then you've got the home run guy. And I think that there's in different ways. So I think like Cam Akers is your potential like home run hitter in the run game. And so it dependent on the rhythm he gets into, dependent on the the fronts that you're playing against and the structures that you're blocking against and and how all of that works. If it's a run heavy day, that type of thing. I think Cam Akers gives you the potential to, if he gets through w- one gap or uh, one gap and then gets a little space, you know, he's gone. And he, he looks super athletic, super physical. Um, we know he's got a chip on his shoulder. As cliche as that sounds, it's very true. Um, and then Kyron is someone who he he's going to depend. It doesn't matter what type of scheme you have or structure you're going against. He's going to get you on base. <laughs> you know, like he's he's going to get you on base. He's going to know where to go. He's going to know, you know, let's say hypothetically speaking, you've got uh, you're going to have to mix up a lot of outside zone and gap stuff against X opponent versus maybe a different opponents. Like, you know, he's going to get you on base and then you can start to set up those opportunities for those home runs um, with Cam Akers, who I think still we could call probably the lead back here. I'll, so there you go, fantasy football heads. But like you could, you could probably say dominant, dominant lead back. And that's he's certainly going to have those opportunities to assert himself in that regard. Cam Akers is. But but on the reverse, I think that Kyron Williams gives you an opportunity to hit a home run in the pass game um, because of the way that he's able to manipulate space. He understands, you know, that type of, um, you know, some of the the route layers and 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 Cam Akers does as well. But I think if you're going to pick sort of who maximizes which part, I think you're going to lean toward Kyron in the pass game and then still be able to use Cam Akers in the pass game. But also you understand he could very well hit you home runs in the run game. Right. And all of it is a balance and all of it, like we talked about before with the O-line, it's a mathematical equation where, okay, let's say you can set up a home run in the run game by stretching a defense out wider with a guy you're using a little bit more of in the pass game. And then all of a sudden you switch them and then, oh, Cam Akers is finding, oh, there's bigger holes for him. There's more opportunity for him to hit that home run and he can and he will do it because of what you've set up with the other guy in the past game or vice versa. If you're picking away, picking away, picking away, and then all of a sudden you bring Cam Akers in to deliver the death blow. I mean, that's like, to me, that's what it seems to be that this team is going for strategically. You know, while we're on the, on the subject of the offense, or I guess just, you know, elements of the offense or general elements overall, you know, one thing that struck me too was, um, to the free agent signing that, you know, when they happened this summer, I think people weren't sure what to expect, but they be- both become two guys that could really be meaningful contributors to this team. And that's, you know, wide receiver Marcus Robinson, who we talked about, I feel like quite a bit already on the, uh, on the previous episode that I was on, but also Kella Witherspoon, um, you know, DeMarcus, he, he, the way he's able to make plays when the ball's in the air and how he adjusts his body to, you know, make those contested catches is, is, you know, something that I think adds a lot to this offense. And then you look at Akello and just in this, in the context of the way the secondary looks right now with some of the youth that has and, and how that, that's changed this offseason. You know, he's somebody that, you know, he's earned, he's earned praise from the coaches for the way he's played and is someone that I think 
could also, again, like really, really carve out an impactful role. You know, what that looks like is to be determined, but I feel like he's shown enough. Really, both of them have shown enough that, you know, it's going to get to the point here where, you know, come, you know, the end of the preseason and into the regular season, the coaching staff is really going to have to figure out a way to be able to, you know, use these guys, whether it's DeMarcus as like a fourth receiver, a third receiver, or, you know, if Akello somehow, you know, ends up with a starting role. But I was curious to get your thoughts on both of them because I know you've written about Akello quite a bit and, and, you know, he was one of the guys, they were both actually guys that you had mentioned. I think it was yesterday that were, you know, kind of trending in the upward direction there. Yeah. I think I've been really impressed with not just their, it, it probably is extra apparent because of how young most of the rest of the roster is, but also they've, they're clear veterans. They're very steady. Um, Akello, I've been really impressed with how he's built, um, just his days have built or crescendoed in an impressive way, even with having screws in his thumb and he's still in a cast and all of that, but he's giving it everything he has out there. And he also is, he's making plays. He's opening up more, you know, you can hear him talking to receivers now when he makes a play. Um, he's feeling, you could tell he's feeling comfortable again. Like we met, we talked about before his length in comparison to most of the other corners, on the roster and certainly those who are mostly on the field with him in a given given moment is apparent. He's just longer. He's built like, you know, that, that traditional prototypical outside corner. Um, and you know, that's where he would be playing is pretty much specifically on the outside. And, um, so you're seeing that. And I think he's, he's really impressed me. Well, obviously everything's a caveat. We'll see when the actual season starts, Um, but I think the Rams knowing that they have somebody who can take those larger matchups, you know, someone on the sideline was talking to me about, you know, Hey, that's, he's a great guy to have around, you know, if he can continue to play like this, he's a great guy to have around when like you have to go against DK Metcalf or some of the larger framed receivers that still are being used, um, on the outsides and on the perimeter stuff. Like, I think that that's important and he, you know, it, Demarcus Robinson has really impressed me because you almost got the sense that like, because, you know, you look at it in correlation with other things on the roster and, and Van Jefferson, Van Jefferson is healthy, but he's clearly going to be managed a little bit because three rest days through the first, you know, week and a half of training camp. Like if you're not being managed a little bit, you're not having those days Um, because we've seen, you know, even in Aaron Donald, he's only had two rest days over two weeks. And that's, you know, so you kind of, your, your flair goes up a little bit and and I'm not saying that Van is hurt. I mean, when he's on the field, he has just been outstanding, but there's a difference between an actual injury and then also managing pre, you know, previous issues that he had had, um, in order to make sure that he has the, the longest and most productive season that he possibly can have. So you initially maybe think about DeMarcus, you know, at first as being like, okay, just in case. But then all of a sudden, this guy starts making these plays and doing what he's always done over what eight years of his career, really showing up as a set as, as a steady, solid contributor. And what I especially like seeing from him is there seemed to be this intentionality for to get him specifically on the field as like an X, um, 
for the younger quarterbacks or the less experienced quarterbacks because he makes them right. Like he corrects their throws by the way that he is able to manipulate his own catch radius. And and that builds confidence that that not, not only helps the receiver and helps the receiving core overall, but it also builds confidence for the younger quarterbacks who very much need to develop. And I think that's important. And like when I'm handicapping the receivers group, um, you know, we've talked about this, could not be more impressed with Tutu Atwell and his camp, could not be more impressed with Puka Nakua and his camp. So I think you're you're looking at like Cooper Cup and Van Jefferson as the one and two. And then you're looking at like a tandem three with Tutu and Puka. And then you're looking at DeMarcus, I think, as the four, in my opinion. And but but a four doesn't mean he's not getting on the field at this point, you know, just because someone is because of the way that the Rams, you know, you don't want to be subbing a lot, but he can play every position. And so you've got basically four guys at the top of your roster or the top of your position group who can play these multiple positions. Then you've got a little insurance like sort of near the end of that group and Ben Skronik, who, you know, I don't think will be so far, in my opinion, don't think will be as featured this year, but certainly can be a depth player because he knows what to do and how to do all those things, whether it's receiver, tight end or fullback. And then obviously a special teams contributor. But like you're, you're looking at these guys who can do multiple things. And now Tutu Outwell being in that group is significant, too, um, because he can play multiple positions. And I know I'm not alone in in how impressed I came away with how he handled camp. And how he approached, like when Cooper goes down with the hamstring issue, and is he still sort of day to day on that? Tutu did not bat an eye, and I know I'm not the only one who's impressed by that. Yeah, I I was also impressed by Tutu. I think you know we we saw this last year, and you know it maybe took a little bit of time for that to translate in the regular season, but you did see you know flashes of it. Thinking of that long touchdown uh, catch he connected with Matthew Stafford on in the Saints game last year, but. you know, one thing that that struck me is what Matthew Stafford said about the progress he's made, and and just how you know the the mastery of the offense that he he's starting to have, which again goes to the point of what you talked about, where you know with his ability to you know be able to play all three receiver positions, like if he didn't, if he didn't know his stuff, they wouldn't be putting him in those positions, or at least they wouldn't be as much as they did during training camp, and so. Um, you know, whereas last year you were trying to figure out, okay, what does the, you know, what does that third receiver spot look like because the, you know, the, you know, injury situation and things like that, it's, it's, it's a better problem to have, I would argue this year, if that even makes any sense. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause when you're like the way you were outlining it, where it's like, you know, in terms of, you know, do you go Puka or Tutu, and then what does that mean for DeMarcus? And so, um, you know, because of that development that Tutu's had and what he's shown, um, it's a, it's a better problem to have compared to last year where, again, we've talked about, it's like, okay, is he only on the field, you know, at, a, at you know maybe one spot and for a handful of plays, you know, because of where he's at now, you know, he's, he's going to be in a position where um, – you know, I think he'll be able to be used more because, again, he has that great mastery of the offense and because, um, you know, they've been playing him in all three of those uh, wide receiver positions as well. Yeah. And by the way, we mentioned like Sean McVay sort of like pulling back from things referencing 2017 a lot. I'll tell you what. Number 
watching number 17, a guy wearing number 17, and he's getting extraordinarily open on mid to deep range crossers. I'm like, I'm having flashbacks a little bit. <laughs> so I know I have to, I, I have to like rub my, rub my head. Like, is that Robert Woods? Yeah. I, I mean, I know, yeah. I know he's, I know he's with the Texans in Houston and all that, but I'm like, feel like i'm seeing double you know yeah and it's it's cool it's like um you almost feel like there's because sean when i when i interviewed sean for the play callers podcast series this, over the summer or excuse me over this last spring um he like got genuinely emotional talking about robert woods and so it almost feels like every time it, i'm i know i'm assigning way too much to this i know i'm i'm so cheesy i know it's fine but it's just like there feels like this homage being paid a little bit every time you see that, because, you know, Stu, you did a great interview with Puka this last week. And like you could tell that something like that would mean a lot to him and does mean a lot to him. Like you can just tell he's the type of kid who he's he he doesn't take number 17 just because he likes the number. You know what I mean? Like things mean something to him. And you could really feel like um, some of the stuff you've seen from him. And the toughness and like the, again, the conceptually, like when I, when I see, I'm like, oh my God, he's on, he's in his own time zone on a crosser and you just get this flashback and you could tell that something like that also, you know, whether subconsciously or overtly, like it means something to him. It absolutely does. And I think, you know, when I was talking to him the other day on, uh, I guess it would have been. Yeah, it was the other day. Sorry, all all the days blurred We're losing track. For those, who, yeah, I, uh, I I I mixed up Tuesday for Monday last week. So th- this is what happens <laughs> when you spend two and a half weeks in in one spot and when training camp progresses. But anyway, I you know when I was asking him about you know just processing information and translating it to the field and how he does that, his answer as far as like understanding leverages and things like that, it it reminded me exactly of the way that Cooper Cups thinks of the game and how he tries to understand what's happening on the field. Um, I don't mean that to place an insane burden and amount of expectations right. on the kid. Because Someone else will do it for you, Stu. Someone else will do yeah, it for exactly. you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure that'll get, you know, clipped out and I'll, I'll get quoted for that and I'll put on your expectations on it. But no, but I say that because like that, I mean, that that's a huge deal and, I, and it speaks to his football IQ because it also reminds me again of, I think it was last season or the season before the, you know, viral inter- post game interview that Cuff had with uh, NFL Network's uh, Bridget Condon, um, talking about, um, you know, what he saw on the field. I can't remember what game that was from, but it, you know, point being, he doesn't necessarily see the game like someone who's a rookie. And uh, you know, I guess at the risk of that sounding like a cliche, like truly the way he processes and sees things. Reminds me a lot of people who have played the game a lot longer than he has, which I think is pretty special and, and, and indicative of why they've put him out there as much as they have and, and mm-hmm. tested him as much as they have because they know he can handle it. And, you know, at some point, they're again, they're probably going to figure out, okay, we've got to find ways to get him on the field because clearly he's retaining and learning this all very well. And, you know, he's obviously picked it up. And like you mentioned, with some of those plays he's made and, you know, the aggressive, reliable hands he, he's shown, the blocking and all those things. Like every everything is there for him to have a role. It's just obviously still to be determined exactly what that looks like. 
Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Three more positions that stood out to me, notes from them, and then you pick any one of these and share your thoughts on any one of those as well, because I know you'll light up it. I can almost actually pick which one <laughs> you're going to pick, but because we've talked about it. Um, so I thought this was Tyler Higby's best camp I've ever seen. Um, and he's actually healthy coming into camp, which is significant. Um, I also think that there's a little added juice when, um, you bring in a bunch of young guys, uh, they're neither of the, you know, they're not playing right now. You know, Hunter Long is dealing with the groin issue and Davis Allen, I believe has a bit of a hamstring issue. Uh, it's a soft tissue either way. Um, but there's, you know, Tyler Higby looks faster to me. He looks quicker, especially in short area. Um, he is, as you can tell, I think really enjoying some of the things that they're doing in their run game in terms of what, what he's doing as a blocker. Um, and, and, and I also have been impressed with Bryson Hopkins, how Bryson has stepped up. The other one is Ernest Jones looks like the most professional, like total pros pro um, looks beyond his years on that field, um, sounds beyond his years on that field, uh, could not be more impressed with him. And also, um, impressed with, you know, the Rams do a lot of different sub packages with their defense. They're almost never going to be in their true base defense. They're going to be rotating a lot. They like to try to dictate terms, um, with whenever this system is functioning the way that it is supposed to be functioning, um, which they hope to get a little bit back to this year after some stuff last year. Um, you know, Christian Roseboom, I think, has stepped up and, and taken on a um, a role that's sort of reminiscent of like a, um, a Traven Howard or like a, a Troy Reader, kind of like you're probably not going to be the guy, but you're also going to do your job when it comes to um, complimenting what the guy at that position can do. Um, and then safeties, you know, obviously John Johnson coming in is a huge story and a fun one. And I know it's like so significant for fans and John is just like the best in terms of like, he's just really great to talk to and so smart, um, really gracious with his time. And that's going to be significant. They're obviously going to crescendo up his workload because he's not going to come in cold and just take like 60 snaps at a practice. Uh, that would not be smart. Um, but I've also have been really impressed with Russ Yeast and Quentin Lake. And, you know, Jordan Fuller, before John got there, was sort of the veteran in the room, right? Um, but the young kids, they've got something to show, too. And Quentin Lake has made, I think he, we don't really keep track of training camp statistics because that seems like a fifth circle of hell moment to do. But also, like... Um, Multiple pass breakups, a couple of interceptions, interceptions off deflections. Quentin Lake has also been playing like three different positions for this team. Um, my my theory is that eventually he could be a backup star to Kobe Durant as well. So could Trey Tomlinson. But in terms of the safety group, like Quentin Lake really impressed me. Russ Yeast really impressed me. Jordan Fuller has always impressed me since he was a rookie. But in terms of those guys, Tanner Engel really impressed me. 
Um, so those are those are a few names and a few guys who I mean, the kids, the kids have got something to prove here on in this uh, in this safety group. Absolutely. One thing I'd add about Lake, too, is I remember last year when uh, I can't remember which game it was that Taylor Rapp went down with an injury um, and he was kind of basically forced into action on the fly. And, you know, asking Raheem Morris about his press conference, called an interaction with, um, and, he's, and Raheem said back to him, like, have you seen his notebook? Yeah, of course. Like, of course. like you know, send him in. Uh, you know, so when, you know, I think about him, you know, playing three different positions and, and things like that, um, you know, I think back to that anecdote or that story, uh, just as far as, you know, probably being somebody who has the, um, you know, study habits or, you know, necessary preparedness and also just the football IQ to be able to handle that amount of information and learn each of those different spots. Um, so we stick in with those three positions or are you saying just. Yeah. you. I mean, I, th- I thought I was, I was sort of setting you up for uh, the Quentin Lake anecdote. Cause I know, I, I know you've been tracking his progress um, over the course oh, yeah. of camp, but any Stu, any final thoughts from you about those positions or anyone else before we, get Rams fans ready to go here and, and uh, headed off to their, to their seats at SoFi for the preseason. Yeah, I think, you know, kind of similar to what you were saying about linebacker, uh, you know, the, the steadiness and the, and the poise that, you know, Ernest Jones plays with for being someone who's what I think third year now. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he's somebody that definitely you can see why he he's in position to, you know, wear that green dot as, as the on-field defensive signal signal caller. Uh, you know, I'm curious to see, you know, kind of sticking with that linebacking group and looking at edge, you know, how that shakes out, especially, um, you know, Michael Hoyt and the way he talked about changing his training and, you know, kind of keeping that fastball as far as those fast twitch, quick twitch movements, but also being able, making sure that he's got the necessary endurance and top end speed for those coverage responsibilities still have on occasion when he, he gets asked to drop back. And then, you know, it's still, I think up for grabs, you know, who, who's, who starts opposite him at this point. And so, you know, beyond them too, you know, tight end, I also, you know, was, was pleased with what I saw from Tyler Higby as well. And, you know, Bryson Hopkins also got a lot of opportunities with, uh, you know, Hunter Long and Davis Allen missing, I think the entirety of, of, mm-hmm. of camp with, uh, you know, their respective injuries. And so um, I am, I am curious to see what, you know, what, the, what that room looks like and, and how things shake out once Hunter Long does get healthy, just again, with the fact that, you know, he was included in the Jalen Ramsey trade. He has that familiarity with the uh, Ramsey tight ends coach, Nick Cayley. And so, you know, at, you know, at what point maybe does he get his opportunities and, and what does that mean for that room as a whole? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, really, overall, I'm just looking forward to seeing what the, as, as McVeigh said this week, very different approach for the team looks like to the preseason where you're not going to have the, you know, the usual stars like the Donalds, the Cups, the Staffords playing, but you'll see some of the guys who are still competing for meaningful roles, meaningful playing time out there. At least that's the expectation because McVay said they're still working through that. So just important caveat to add, but uh, th- that's all kind of what's, uh, you know, ruminating in my mind right now is, as I look ahead to the preseason opener and, uh, you know, kind of figuring out how everything unfolds from here. 
Yeah, I agree. It's going to be interesting. You know, normally it's like first and even second team that's not really playing other than like the backup quarterback. It's like usually that's the preseason approach. But this year it's going to be like a portion of the first team, all of the second team, all of the third team is going to be playing. Um, And that's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. But what I think, too, and you mentioned caveats is like we, we still what I think is important is like we still don't know how any of this is going to go. <laughs> but what I do think that Sean McVay went from sort of uh, being visibly irritated, frustrated in the early parts of training camp from for, with a variety of things, whether it was how people got in and out of the huddle, um, uh, conditioning levels, those types of things um, that come with the, the, the package of being a rookie, of being a very young player in the NFL, um, into by the end of camp, he seemed like he'd seen significant, at least like tangible steps taken forward. So the caveat being like, as, as the, this team heads into the preseason, as we get ourselves ready to uh, launch into another season of coverage here, um, I think it is important that to remember that we don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know if this team's going to be any good. We can think certain things or think that certain players are improving and developing, Um, But when we talk about them in the context of this team, they are in the context of this team, not necessarily the league overall. So we're just going to have to wait and see. And I think that's something that um, it went from being uneasy for fans to process psychologically, I think, in terms of just what I hear and see on Twitter, like um, or or Instagram, any variety of the million platforms that we're on now. (laughs) Um, But like it went from like this uneasiness to more of an excitement, right, to more of an eagerness, like okay, you've established that you don't know how things are going to go. So the wait and see part of it, at least there's an adventure in that. And so I think that that's where fans, I'm feeling more excitement from them about the preseason for the first time in a long time. And Stu, I know we're going to be right there, front row, checking it out, seeing how everything goes. You guys can follow Stu's work uh, from the preseason friend beyond uh, at therams.com. And you can follow my work over at theathletic.com and all of the, like I said, the million different social media platforms that are getting too lengthy to list at this point. I don't even know what to call Twitter anymore, but I'm just going to go with Twitter because fuck it. (laughs) um, Yeah, Stu, I I really appreciate you joining me as usual. Um, You know, it's been really awesome having somebody who's also on the ground here at camp uh, in, in Irvine at camp, who's seeing all of these little incremental things and details happen. And I know it means just as much to you as it does to me that um, people follow along with us as we're on the ground at camp and are um, sort of, you know, trying to see what we see and and live through what we're trying to share as much as we can share. Um, so right. I know that's <laughs> I know that's appreciated, and I certainly appreciate you for jumping on today. Yeah, of course, uh, always appreciate you having me on, and uh, it's always good to uh, you know chat and catch up on you know what we see, and in turn, you know hopefully important keep the fans better informed whether they you know made it to camp and were able to watch or they didn't make it to camp but uh you know we're curious about you know everything that unfolded and kind of what that means for training camp so i appreciate you as always for having me on and uh looking forward to that next appearance whenever it may be yeah and and guys um just a reminder as the season begins and as again we all launch into sort of the unknown right as we all launch into the unknown um i just wanted to again as always issue a reminder that you guys are taking care of each other taking care of yourselves 
that you're staying caffeinated and hydrated. And we'll catch you next time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.